right. I just want to give you a warning this morning. I Sometimes I, I come across intense when I'm preaching, but I'm not mad. But I am mad at the devil. Um, and I think there should be a sense when we get together of earnestness, like what we're talking about matters. So this is one of those messages, all right? So just smile at me. And I'm going to try to smile a lot, consciously smile a lot. Um, but here's some of the, I guess, some of the uh, things that are on my heart today. This series we're getting into is a series on the book of Ephesians called Made for More for the next, of course, there's six chapters in Ephesians, so we're going to spend six weeks going through the book, one chapter a week. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. I'm encouraging you to read your Bible. Now, let me tell you why I'm encouraging you to read your Bible. How many of you noticed in the uh, larger media world out there, there's been a couple of of defections of well-known celebrity-type Christian folks who all of a sudden decided that they don't believe in Christ and they're no longer considering themselves Christians. Now, here's my challenge to all of you as as followers of Jesus. Um, We are going to be no stronger than our personal encounter, ongoing encounter with God. Which means that Sunday is is a time when we come together to be equipped and challenged. Um, but how many of you know if you don't have a personal relationship with God, it's only a matter of time before you fall flat on your face. And so just because people are on a stage, or even, let me just say this, even because a pastor crashes and burns does not necessarily mean that that pastor had a relationship with Jesus that was personal or that they maintained that relationship with Jesus. How many of you know many people start well and they don't finish well? And I want to remind you all that I, every year I preach a message dealing with the, uh, the, the grace lines, which are our spiritual disciplines, how important it is. I remember the series I preached on praying through the Psalms. Remember that one. Why? Because that was David's prayer book. That was, his, that was his declarations to God. And we get to literally pray the inspire, inspired words of, through the mouth of David, the Holy Spirit speaking through him, pray those back to the Lord. I talked about spiritual disciplines in your life, worship, uh, the word, prayer, fellowship. And when you don't have these things on a regular basis, you get weak. And when, 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 when the enemy comes after you, and he will come after you, he comes after our faith. When he comes after you, and you got nothing because you've been spending zero time in the Word, you don't know God, you don't have any personal time with God. You know, my father would often say, just because you sleep in a garage doesn't make you a car. Well, just because you sleep in church doesn't make you a Christian either, all right? Um, this is about having a personal pursuit of God. And I just want to challenge you all, too. You know, sometimes when you go through difficult times, God's not trying to harm you. God's creating opportunities for you to desperately run to him so that you encounter him, so that you experience him. But we have to fight because, you know, and I'm not predicting that we're living in the last days. I believe that we are. I believe the coming of Jesus is nearer than it's ever been. I'm not saying this is the fulfillment of that. But the Bible does say that in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. Can I tell you why there would be a great falling away? Because we've neglected spending time and making it real with Jesus in the personal dimension of our lives. You know, and I'm, I'm just, this is not the message. I'm just challenging you. If you're so busy, you don't have time to spend with God. You're way too busy. If, you can't, if you're too busy to spend time in the Word, you've got way too much stuff in your life. And I'm not saying this as a legalistic thing. I'm saying this as life and breath. Are you seeing that feeding from God, spending time in His presence, is essential to you living? 
Because sometimes we don't act that way. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with you this morning a little bit uh, about how we view church. Let me ask you, why is it, you don't have to answer me, but I want you to think about this. Why is it that you come to church and what are you here for? Some people come to church because it's their way of checking off the box and letting God know, hey, we're good. Me and the, me and the big guy upstairs, we're good. If anything bad happens, I think he'll let me in because I showed up at church on Sunday. How many know? Bad idea. Bad idea. You don't get anything from God on the basis of your performance. You get what you get from the Lord because you're a son or you're a daughter. It's all about relationship. All right? Some people come to church because this is your pick-me-up time for the week. And, man, I get together with God's people. I feel, I feel so good when I leave the church. All right? And how many know that's okay? I hope that you're all inspired and you feel good when you leave church. But that's not why you're here. Let me suggest why we should be here. The church is the home base, the mission hub of training, equipping, and then sending us to do the ministry of Jesus. Some people view church like this is where we bring in people who don't know God, and this is where we give altar calls, and this is where people find the Lord. Well, that happens at church, but can I suggest to you that's not the main place that's supposed to happen. You should not be coming to church every Sunday and hearing a salvation message because this is where God's people get equipped to go be the church. And can I suggest to you that as you look through the book of Acts, for instance, the church in action, if you look at where most of the miracles happened, they did not happen in church. They happened in the marketplace. Where are people encountering Jesus? In the streets. Where do you spend most of your week? Not right here. You spend most of your week working nine to five, doing something out there, providing for your family, doing what God's called you to do. But how many of you know that's your mission field? That's where God's called you to serve. This is like a place, and I want you to see what we've been doing. This is a place where disciples gather because we're all lovers of Jesus. Are you with me? We care about God. We care about his mission. It's where we learn to discover what unique gifts God's placed in us. We've done that for the last 14 weeks, have we not? That's been very intentional. What is it? How has God wired you? How has God put you together? What's the unique you? What's the masterpiece that's you? How has God uniquely called you and shaped you to join his mission? And then check out what happens. This is the place where we're mobilized, not only in here to serve and love one another, but out there to go be the church that Christ has called us to be. And I want to encourage you, we have got to get this. We have got to get this. There has got to be a shift in our thinking. So let me ask you this question. If you came here on Sunday, not just wanting to sing a few songs and hear a nice message and go, but if you came here with the realization that God has an assignment for you, God has a calling on you, that your life matters, that your ministry matters, you would probably approach things differently. You would probably prepare the night before, like on Saturday night. You wouldn't stay up till 2 o'clock because you would be wanting to actually be awake on Sunday morning to receive something. You would probably get up early to prepare your heart to meet with God. 
you would probably make sure relationally that if there was something the matter between my wife and I, I would take care of that before Sunday morning because I want to make sure I am good soil for God to deposit something in me. Is this making sense? In other words, I I would want to make sure I would bring something to write with and check this out. I would want to make sure I owned one of these and I read it on a regular basis because let me tell you the truth. My opinion about life is meaningless, and I'll pop your bubble. So is yours. We're not here to hear Pastor Ron's opinion. We're here to hear, ready for this? Thus saith the Lord. The only thing that matters in life is God's opinion about reality. That's all that matters. And when we come here and we have that attitude that God is speaking, and I was joking around this morning because when you read your Bible really well, stuff like this happens. You get one part here, and then you get your cover over here. And um, that just means I've been busy. I also want to say this. When you open up somebody's Bible, it should not look like it's a a relic or something that you should put in a museum. It should be marked in, circled, highlighted, messed up, because you're interacting with the Word of God. You're writing notes. In fact, what I'm telling my kids, I'm, I'm a lousy journaler. Some of you are good journalers. That's a good spiritual discipline. I haven't mastered it yet. Some of you maybe have. But here's where I do my journaling is on the pages of my Bible. When I am dead and gone, my kids will have a treasure trove of Bibles that I have marked up. In fact, I love getting a new Bible because my goal is to work through it and mark it up. Why am I doing that? Because I'm serious about what God has called me to do. How about you? There should be an eagerness, an eagerness to learn, an eagerness to apply, an eagerness to take notes. Because check this out, when you buy in to the mission, you're going somewhere. Am I speaking to the right? You're not just coming to church. You're being the church. And so, you know, you were talking about how important it is to get connected relationally. That was so amazing, so good. Why do we have relationships? Because I realize the older I get, I can't do this alone. I need people in my life. There are people in this room right now. You're going through incredibly difficult situations. And let me just tell you this. If you keep hanging out, with worldly friends instead of godly people, let me just tell you, there's no hope. If you're, if you're going to the bar for comfort and not the church for comfort, you're not going to get set free. You have to surround yourselves with people on mission. And let me ask you this question. What is the most powerful mobilization of volunteer force on planet Earth? Is it the Red Cross? Is it the United Way? You can think of whatever service organization. Can I tell you the greatest mobilizing force on the earth is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every week around the world, people gather together. And they, what do they do? They use their gifts, their talents, their resources to be a blessing to this broken world. It's happening all over the globe. Isn't it amazing when we see these hurricanes and stuff that come up from the south down in the Gulf area? Who's the first responders? It's not a government agency with billions of dollars. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to get into every nook and cranny of this culture and to bring the love of Jesus Christ. So this message is about mobilization. Everybody say mobilization. And it's only going to make sense if you buy in to Jesus' vision for your life, which is to get you mobilized here in the home base, empowered to discover your personal calling and gifting, and then deployed to express the fullness of Jesus 
in every single culture and in every sphere of society. I want to give you five big ideas from Ephesians chapter 1. Five big ideas, and I'm calling them uh, big ideas because I'm going to emphasize the word big. And I want you to follow through chapter 1 with me. And here's the other thing I want to labor to do this morning is when you have your Bible and your, I, I put the words up there so you can kind of cheat along with me, but I encourage you, bring your Bible because here's what I want you to see. The authority in our lives comes from the spoken word. When we see it and we attach ourselves to that word of God and we believe it and we apply it, that's when we get victory. So you have to be able to connect the dots, and I want you to see it. This isn't my opinion. This is the word of the Lord today. The word of the Lord, and that should put a sense of alertness in our hearts. Our ears should perk up when you hear me say that, because his is the only thing that matters. Let's take a look at the first half of this chapter. Paul is just letting out a massive, a big praise for God. And this is what he says in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are united with Christ. How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are united with Christ? You've submitted your life to him. You've given your life to him. The Bible says with Christ, with that uniting. For instance, when Mary and I were united in marriage, here's the good news. The good news is all that she had now became mine. All that I had now became hers. But guess what? That also includes something called debt. That's why you have to prepare for marriage. Now, I'm not suggesting that when I married my wife, she brought all this debt. That's not true. But the flip side is when we combined our total net worth at at the uh, marriage, okay, there wasn't a whole lot there, but all that I had, I gave to her, including my yellow four-door Chevy Chevette and uh, lemon yellow. And, uh, and all that she had, she gave to me because we were married. Now, check this out. When you get married to Christ, all of your debt he swallows up. All of his superabundance is yours. How I many of you know this is a good deal? It gets better. Look at what Paul says next. It gets better. Paul says, Even before God made the world, he loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Why did he do this? Listen, because it brought him him good pleasure. Look at that. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him good pleasure. In addition to being blessed, everybody talks about blessed. Well, it's true. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're recipients of the love of God, we're recipients of the choice of God, and we're recipients of the adoption of God. Is anybody in this room glad that Jesus Christ reached out when you were his enemy, when you were far from him, when you were living literally like hell and for the devil? God interrupted your life with the good news. He set his love upon you. He chose you out out of the whole world. He chose you. He brought you into his family. He made you his own. That's called adoption. And now you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Paul's praising God for this because it's blowing his mind. 
How many of you know part of why we come together, the first thing we do is we open up our mouths and what do we start doing? We start singing. Why are we singing? Do you know when you go to the bar, the first thing that happens, hey, let's just all start singing. No, that's not what happens. When you go to football games, they don't start by saying, hey, can we all just start singing together? No, that doesn't happen. There is nowhere on God's green earth that you come together and you sing except for the gathered people of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We begin our worship by giving thanks to God for all that he's done for our, for our lives. Anybody with me on that? Anybody grateful this morning? My goodness. Rescuing us from hell. A meaningless existence. A life with nothing and no hope. I told this story before. Some of you heard it. I was ministering to a guy out in the parking lot coming out of all kinds of drugs and alcohol and addictions and came up to our back porch and was cut up with blood on him and, and just self-destructive stuff. And uh, my wife was a little bit anxious. I had little kids at the time. Here's this bloody man standing on my back porch knocking on the door. So we walked over to the parking lot. I gave my dad a call because my dad was working with him. And I've never seen this before. He was standing there in the parking lot. Uh, and looking at us, and the next thing I know, he falls face first on the pavement, whacks his face on the pavement, out cold. And my dad was always great, great for the one-liners. Here's this man, bloody from cutting himself, addicted to alcohol, strung out on drugs, passes out, face plants in the parking lot. And my dad looks at me without missing a beat and says, see what you missed. See what you missed. It was such a picture of our brokenness apart from God, of our pain apart from God, of our life apart from God. Here is somebody made in the image and likeness of God, a son of God, totally far, lost, abandoned, broken on his face. At that moment, I was grateful for the Christian home, grateful for godly parents, grateful for all the times they said no. And I'll put some boundaries around my life. And as we looked with compassion on this poor man who just face-planted on the asphalt because he passed out, it reminded me also of the mission that we have. Because God doesn't want people living like that. And the good news of the gospel is that there is more and that Jesus brings more and that we don't have to live lost. We don't have to live full of pain and brokenness any longer. So Paul gives out a great big praise. And here's the foundation of our praise. And let me just tell you this. I don't know what you're going through right now. But this is the one cornerstone, the foundation point, that no matter what is happening in our lives, this is the reason we can give thanks. It's found in verse 7. No matter what our circumstances, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave me and you all of our sins. You know, part of why this meeting matters is because this gathering on Sunday mornings, was purchased in blood. When somebody gives up their life for any of us, there brings a sense of honor, brings a sense of respect. It's why we honor our veterans. It's why we honor, on Memorial Day, those who have given their lives, because it matters. The freedom that we have matters. It's a gift that was purchased with blood. How much more the freedom that we have that was purchased 
with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That, that means that no matter what you're going through right now, there's hope. No matter what pain you're going through right now, God understands the pain. And no matter what you have given up or what you've lost, the price of the Son of God transcends whatever human loss we have. So God gets it, and God uses the price of his Son to bring us into relationship with himself, which means there's no important, more important gathering in all of heaven and earth than the blood-bought people of God coming together on Sunday morning. This matters. What you're doing here matters. I'm just framing it for you. This event purchased in full by the blood of God's Son. I don't know, I don't know of any other gathering that has the weight that the gathered collection of God's people, the church, has because of the blood of the Son of God shed for us to remind us that no matter what we're going through, He's a Redeemer and He's bigger. So here's the deal. If we're going to be mobilized, you have to minister out of your identity. And I'm just going to tell you, here's your identity. You're favored. You're blessed. You're loved. You're chosen. You're adopted into God's family. You're forgiven of your sins. You're valuable. You're precious to God. God gave his best for you and shed the blood of his only son for you. It puts us in a situation where all we can do is say thank you, thank you, thank you, and where praise comes out of our lives. Because here's the deal. You can never be mobilized into a mission that your heart has not been fully changed to embrace and to accept. You know, when you got to tell people, hey, come on, read your Bible. Are you kidding me? Hey, come on, let's worship Jesus. Oh, we sing too many songs here. Are you kidding me? Here's my question. Has your heart been conquered by God? Have you had an impersonal encounter with Jesus? This changed you. God doesn't drag us fighting and kicking and screaming into his mission. We get encountered by him and we go running to join what he's doing because it's the best news on planet Earth. Jesus wants to change your heart. And once, once, man, once you've encountered, then he says, follow me. And, man, we get into discipleship and we get into understanding the incredible gifts he's put in us. But let's take a look at the second thing here, the big plan. I'm talking a massive plan that Paul gets by the download of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. What is his will? Which is to fulfill his own good plan. Okay, what is his will? What's his plan? Well, look what he says in verse 10. This is the plan. Drum roll, please. Here we go. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Jesus Christ. Everything in heaven and everything on earth. This is stunning. Paul's trying to get his brain around this. Jesus Christ is in the process right now of the restoration of all things. Everything that's been broken, everything that's been twisted by sin, everything that's been uh, destroyed, all the loss we've experienced, the hurt, the pain. Guess what Jesus is doing? He is bringing everything under his authority. And how many of you know when the righteous king Jesus the perfect Lamb of God, when He's reigning on His throne, we're going to experience blessing like we've never imagined. All, and so here, here's what I'm trying to tell you. 
Right now, God is working on a plan. We wake up, we eat breakfast, we watch the news, we go off to work, we do whatever, we wash our clothes, we clean the house. But I'm, I'm trying to shake you out of your normal routine because every moment that we're here, something is happening. Here's what's happening. God is restoring all things and bringing things to a climax where everything will be under the authority of his son, Jesus. So let me ask you this question. Are you there? Are you under the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And let me ask you this question. What is the mission every day when we wake up? What's our mission? What's our assignment? Check this out. To bring everything under the authority of Jesus Christ. Everything personally, everything corporately, my marriage under Christ. You know, can I just say this? There would be so much more motivation for great marriages if you would lift it out of the realm of personal pleasure and personal happiness and raise it to the level that your marriage was intended to be a demonstration of the goodness and the glory of God in a dark world. There's so much more at stake in this than my happiness. Your marriage, your marriage is a picture of an eternal reality that Jesus is working out in the earth. It's not just she was cute and I met her in sixth grade. It's so much more than that. And if we could only see the big picture, it would help us bring the little pictures in line. How I treat my kids, how I love my wife, how I treat my neighbor, how I go to work, how I treat people at work, what I do, what my focus is, how I'm getting focused for my day, what's the purpose of my day. It all comes under the big overarching picture of Jesus bringing everything under his lordship. And I'm just telling you, what's he doing right now? That. All of his enemies are being subdued under his feet. That's what he's doing. So look what Paul prays next. He prays a big prayer. He prays for three things, and I want you to see it with me. In verse 17, Paul prays that he would know the person of God, experientially know God. He says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Why? Why, why, why? So that, I circle that in my Bible, so that, here's why we're praying for wisdom, so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. How many of you have made the growing, and I'm not talking about just head knowledge, growing though in your experience of who God is. You've made that the goal of your life, knowing God. Can I tell you why you need to know God? Because when things begin to shake, you're going to fall back on the depth of your relationship with God. And can I tell you, when we see worship leaders, some of you saw it recently, a, ma- a major worship leader back with Hillsong, and I'm not picking on Hillsong, a wonderful ministry, and we're singing a lot of their songs, but when a person on stage who's written songs about God and sung to God and led people in the worship of God turns their back on God and rejects everything that they have sung, how many of you know something is amiss there, something is wrong there? And I would like to suggest to you that when you can sing all these songs and get goosebumps, but if you're not pursuing the knowledge of God personally for your life, knowing God, loving God, when the winds come and when the rains come and when the shaking comes, what do you have to hold you up? That song you play on the radio might help you get into the presence of God, but the song is not enough. You need to know God, and you need to know him experientially. Secondly, Paul said, I pray that you know the promises of God. 
Look what he says in verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. First of all, it blows my mind that God considers us his rich inheritance. What's God get out of this deal? He gets us. How awesome is that? God views me as a treasure. I'm his inheritance, and so are you. He's like, I am filthy rich. Why? Look at my people. Part of my inheritance. God considers us his inheritance. What a treat. But look, at where does confident hope come from? Hope is something that's future-oriented. Hope is, hope is why should I get out of bed today? When you're facing despair, when you're facing heaviness, when you're facing challenges, what gets you out of bed to face the day? You better have confident hope. Where does confident hope come from? It comes from the promises of God, where God's been faithful in the past, faithful in the present, faithful in the future. And if you read the Word and you start your day in the Word, God speaks to you personally. And it's like the Word's jumping off the page at you. And you begin to meditate on that. And listen to me. Confident hope fills the heart of the people of God. Because you know the Word of God and the promises of God and you rehearse those things. Which leads me to the last thing. And that's the power of God. Look at verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Notice the power is available for us who, say it with me, us who believe, believe. I met this week with one of our new members here at our church. Uh, He's Romanian. His name is Sergi, Sergi Pop. I don't know if I get the proper Eastern European pronunciation, but anyway, uh, amazing guy. His parents escaped from communist Romania. And I told him, whenever your mom and dad come up to visit, can you please squeeze in some time for me? I want to hear their story. I'm always intrigued by courage. How about you? I love courageous story. This man planned for three years to escape from Romania. The, all the borders are, are full of guards. Um, if you go to the border and they ask you, why are you here, and you don't have a good answer, four years in prison. No questions asked. This man went with some other people. They planned for three years. Instead of trying to sneak out at the narrowest portion of the water, uh, he decided to do something counterintuitive under the wisdom of God. Let's go to the area that's the widest where nobody expects you to try to sneak out. There were two... uh, Uh, government boats there protecting the harbor. It was a big party place. They went there, and they asked the Lord to send fog. The sky was clear. You could see all the stars. The lake, big body of water there, and the river was perfectly clear. They went back. They tried to lay down and go to sleep. They woke up again. They prayed again. Nothing. Five o'clock in the morning, A fog comes in that covers about three feet high off the lake or off the river. They blow up one of those inflatable boats, and about four of them get into the raft, and they start laying down because the fog's only like this tall. If you sat up, your head would be up above the fog. So they're laying in the boat, and they're paddling across. They get by the ships, and a guard dog starts barking. And they're like, oh, man, we're busted. A guard comes out, kicks the dog. He's, he's drunk. He's been up drinking all night. Kicks the dog, says, shut up, dog. You're waking me up. Dog yelps, runs away. He goes back inside. They float past two uh, 
communist ships there full of guards. They get to the other side, and he begins to tell me the story about how when they landed in Yugoslavia, how they found their family. Here's the one. I, I could go on and on. It was just amazing. But here's the one that got me. He finally ends up in Germany, and uh, his sister lives in Germany. He calls her on the phone. He says, you won't believe it. I'm here, and she's freaking out. I can't believe it. Where are you? And he says, I don't know. I'm somewhere in Germany. How I many of you know that kind of narrows it down? <laughs> she says, tell me what street you're on. He goes out. He looks up. I'll just use our, our dimensions here. Okay, I'm on the corner of Pratt and Summit Street. He hears a scream. He looks up. His sister is six stories straight up on her, on her balcony looking down at her brother who just happened by the Holy Spirit to be brought to the exact corner where a sister is living. I love it. You know, can I just share my heart? My burden is that we would see and experience more and more of the power of God. How many of you are with me on that? But can I just tell you something? The power of God is attached to the mission of God. God's not into being a showman. He's not into putting on a three-ring circus. God, God is interested in bringing all things under the submission of his son, Jesus Christ. And can I just suggest to us that if we want to see more of the move of God in our life, what would happen if we aligned ourselves under the authority of God and began moving more with God? And what if we began turning our prayers into prayers of blessing and help for other people? What if we started using our gifts that God's given us to help set other people free? What if our cries of prayer, not, not that we can't pray for ourselves, we need to pray for ourselves, but what if, our, what if we were engaged in the mission and our focus was on seeing other people get free, other people get answers, other people get help? I just have this inkling that we would probably see more and more of the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Can you join me as we continue to pray? Paul said, make this a prayer. This is one of his apostolic prayers. Pray this, pray this, pray this. Here's why, and I'm going to wrap up here. Look at, look at number four and number five. Number four, it, Paul talks about a great big God. I want you to see this, and we're going to flex our muscles together for Jesus this morning. Look at verses 22 and 23. God has put all things, everybody say all things, under the authority of Christ and has made him head over, say it with me, all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. How you know when you hear words like all, those are powerful words. That means there's nothing outside of the parameter of the lordship and authority of Jesus. Where did he get this authority? By virtue of his glorious death, burial, and resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand. That's the foundation of this authority. I want to read it to you from uh, the Message Bible. Look at, it, look at this with me. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a deep throne, or I'm sorry, on a throne in deep heaven. Look what Jesus is doing. In charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power, is exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. Oh, I love those kind of verses. 
Those are power verses. Those verses remind us that what we have been born into is something awesome and powerful, and the one that we report to has all authority. There is no authority greater than his. He has the final word on everything. This is the big vision that Paul is seeing. And God is trying to fill the universe with the glory of his Son. Every square inch of the universe belongs under the rightful authority of our magnificent King Jesus. Now let me just tell you something. When I went off to school and discovered the whole concept of biblical worldview, it changed my life, and I hope it changes your life, because here's why. We're not interested in trying to get folks to volunteer for ministry at church, all right? That's not what we're after. We are trying to get all of our lives focused on Jesus and what he's trying to do through us individually and corporately. In other words, this is what you're, I don't want you ever to hear at Living Stones. Oh, my gosh, we need, we desperately need people in the youth ministry. Who wants to sign up? We, really, we need three people to fill three, three slots for youth ministry. No, that's not what we want. We don't want people filling slots. We want people whose hearts have been captured with the mission of Jesus and who would like the privilege of loving on some teenagers and seeing them move into full maturity, understand their calling, and embrace what they've been called to do and join the mission of God in the earth today. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for people to stand at the door and shake a few hands. We're looking for happy, Jesus-loving people who want to release the joy of the Lord and the excitement of God all over everybody who walks through the door. That's what we're looking for. Not, oh gosh, we need four people to stand by the doors and be greeters. We're not looking for greeters. We're looking for kingdom people loving Jesus on mission, wanting to encourage people. Do you understand the difference here? I never want to stand up here and beg people to fill slots. We're not filling slots. We're raising disciples, helping them understand their gifting, deploying them for ministry to love God's people and to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. Everybody understand that? All right, good, good. And listen, this is awesome. This is what we were made for, and this is what Jesus shed his blood for. Let me end with this, a big vision number five. Man, we talked about a big praise. We talked about God's big plan. We talked about Paul's big prayer. We talked about our great big God. And I want you to see the end all. What is God up to? Look at, look at verses 22 and 23. And again, I love the way the Message Bible says this. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, hear this with me. This, I'm going to drive this point home. The church is not peripheral to the world. The church is, sorry, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. Can I just tell you something this morning? Sometimes we come off and we're just one little, one little, you know, segment of the body of Christ. Christ's church is so beautiful, so diverse, so many cultures, so many nations, so beautiful. And let me just tell you, it's growing and taking over the planet as we speak, all right? That's the truth about the church of the Lord Jesus. We're just a, we're just a little franchise right here, Living Stones. But can I just tell you something? Sometimes you wake up and you watch all the talking heads and the, the media people and the news and you watch Washington and all the shenanigans going on and whatever governments of the world. And 
you listen to all this stuff, and you feel like, who am I, and, and, you know, what am I doing, and can I really make a difference, and you feel like the church is just this tiny little, you know, flea on the elephant's back. Can I just tell you something? You are the elephant. What's going on in the world is not being controlled by power brokers in Washington, D.C., or anywhere else. It's being controlled by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, scattered abroad, little people on their knees praying, little people making decrees, little people doing acts of kindness and service, little people getting involved and leading and serving and shining their light. The world is peripheral to the church. In other words, this gathering, these people should be the center of your world. I'm going to say that again. The mission of Jesus for the disciple of Jesus is the epicenter of my life. Somebody say, well, you're just saying that because you're a pastor. No, I'm a pastor because I'm saying that. If you're a disciple of Christ, a lover of Jesus, he becomes the blazing center of your world. He is the canopy over which we find all authority and power. He's my identity. He's my life. He's why I get out of bed. His mission is what consumes me. The church is the center of my world. That's why when we say get together in a life group, why? Because some of you are just new believers, and you got friends that are lost. They don't know God from a hole in the ground. They are not going to help you. You're going to help them. How do you help them? You don't withdraw yourself from them. You don't ignore them. You don't leave them. But you better build a brand new center of relationships, people who love God like you, people who can help you, equip you, help you get strong because your friends are going to dictate where you go in life. And I'm just telling you, Jesus said this, his church is the centerpiece of everything that's happening in the earth. People that could care less about church, people that watch whatever televangelists on TV at home, people who say, no, I'm good with God. You're missing out on the epicenter of the move of what God is doing in the world. God said the church is a center. The world is the periphery, not the other way around. We better start acting like it. We need to raise our standard. We need to raise our sense of investment and and, and, and our passion and why we're here. We got to get this. We got to get this. Why is this important? Christ is the head. The church is the body. If Jesus is going to speak and act in the world, he needs us through which he speaks and he acts, and check this out, by which he fills the entire universe with his presence. Can I just tell you something? By virtue of the resurrection of Jesus, there's not one square inch on this planet that we don't belong and that our message is not welcome. The fact that Christ rose from the dead means planet Earth belongs to him. Every star, everything in the cosmos created by God, everything is held together by the word of Jesus And I want you to see this. When we leave here today, what's our big vision? To fill every nook and cranny of the universe with Jesus-loving, God-praising, 
servant leaders, loving people, releasing the glory of God, the love of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, bringing solutions, not complaining, not whining, not murmuring, but, but being a solution bringer to the problems of the world. God's counting on the church to be the church. God's counting on us to fulfill the mission. God's counting on us to take the glory of God into every nook and cranny of society. How's he going to do it? Well, it's easy because the church is expanding, growing. We're everywhere. There's nowhere on planet Earth the church is not. In fact, where you persecute her the most, she multiplies the most. Where they try to stamp out the church, she grows the most. You can't kill the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're unstoppable. And here, here's the privilege. We're going to leave here now. And guess what? Our ministry just started. How you love your wife. How you love your kids. How you go love people. How you tip your waitress. How you drive your car. Uh, convi- uh, conviction conviction on that one. How, how you do your job. What kind of excellence you bring. How about this? We cry out to God that Jesus becomes the blazing center of everything and that all of my priorities revolve or like Jesus, like the sun. All, everything revolves around Jesus, the sun. My life is for him. Everything I do is for him. I'm pursuing his vision. I'm not just going up and get going to work or trying to survive. Come on, elevate yourself. Understand the cosmic dimensions about what is happening in the earth right now. The Bible says this, Jesus Christ is going to return. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, not begrudgingly. At that moment when people, lost people, rebellious people, see the glory of the Son of God, they will be on their face in a second, willingly. They'll be crying out for mercy. The only problem is it's too late. Revelations chapter 6, when Jesus comes, people will be running into the mountains and the caves, crying out for rocks and mountains to fall on them. Here's why. It's an amazing phrase. To flee from the wrath of the Lamb. We don't think of lambs as wrathful. But God is bringing his son to judge every injustice, every wickedness, every rebel, every, every self-centered person who's, who's shaken their fist at God and said, I don't want you. The day is coming when God is pushing all things to this climactic point when Jesus takes the throne of all. Everything is brought in submission under his feet, and we spend the rest of our days enjoying God, enjoying each other. That's what it's all moving towards. I want to ask you right now, if Christ would show up, if, if, if now was that climactic moment of when, when Jesus is revealed in all of his glory, are you ready for that moment? This is not a guilt trip or anything like that, but I'm just asking you, only you know. Are you there? Have you submitted to him? Have you yielded yourself to him? Are you moving towards discipleship? Are you understanding your gifts, and are you ready? Hear this. Are you ready to be deployed? You know, I love Brent and Jocelyn. I use them as an example again. Um, when Brent, Brent came here, went through a painful divorce, painful time in his life, a broken time in his life, 
God did some healing. God brought those two together. God brought healing to the family. Uh, They started sitting under marriage class, receiving teaching, wanting to do it right, wanting not to make the same mistake, wanting their marriage to work, pursuing God, uh, being discipled, being teachable. And now this is what I love. And and I could go through our whole leadership team, Joe and Diane Elisea, Jerry and Terry Harvey. I mean, the list goes on and on. The people that are helping lead this ministry are all people who came from broken situations and watch the power of God work in their lives to bring healing, to bring cleansing, to bring freedom. And now they were equipped. And guess what they're doing now? They're ministering and they're doing it in a powerful, powerful way. When they leave and they go do something, Jerry and Terry just did a uh, marriage ministry in Zambia. It was powerful. Brent and Joslin just did premarital counseling. They're moving, they're, they're moving in what they were equipped to do. And now they're helping other people say, hey, let us show you what God did in our lives. Let us encourage you in your marriage. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Every single one of us should have a vision to be taking the healing we've received and giving it away to somebody. Every ministry you're in, if you're sitting in a life group right now, I'm just telling you right now, if you're sitting in a life group right now, one of your thoughts should be, you know what? I want to be equipped so that someday I can open up my home and love on people the same way I'm being loved on right now. And I'm talking about the most baseline level of service, whatever it is that you can do. Why don't you just release some of the glory of God on people coming to church on Sunday. Let them know how much we love them and open the door with a big smile and say, welcome. God's going to do something great in your life today. Why not join the parking lot team before people even get out of their car? Somebody's out there full of the Lord, full of the mission of God saying, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Let me get that door for you. I can't wait for you to get in today. God's going to touch you. It's going to be so awesome. You are loved by God. We're glad that you're here. You know, it's it's, it's, it's not what we're doing. It's how we're doing it. And it's all about the mission of God. So stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. And I want our, our ministry team to come up this morning. You know, some of you, I know God has spoken to you today. Some of you just need to go deeper in pressing into Jesus. He, he's, he loves you. Some of you have gotten away. Your heart's kind of grown cold. Please hear the heart of Jesus today. Come on back. Come running back. It's time to really get ministered to and get equipped and get plugged in and get moving ahead with the purpose of God for your life. Don't drift away. Don't grow cold. Some of you have been discovering your gifts, and I want to encourage you. Man, just look for ways you can get in your sweet spot, release the gifts God's put in your life. But all of us today, here's here's God's cry. Here's the big idea. Let's all not volunteer at church, but let's all get a part of the mission of God to redeem and restore the world. That's, that's the heart. Every one of us, hands on the plow, every one of us being involved. Jesus, thanks for the big vision we saw. Ephesians chapter 1, it blows our mind. We submit to you because there's no ruler like you. There's no one like you. We submit to your authority today. Lord, we, we cry out like the Apostle Paul, show us the Father. Give us an understanding of your promises, Lord. And Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to live with confident hope that you have us right in the center of your hand and that you're working all things for your glory and for our good. Remind us of all that you've done for us, Lord, so that our hearts are so full of gratitude. None of this should be a burden. None of this should be out of a sense of duty. God is all out of love for you. So fill our hearts, Jesus, with passionate love. 
And if you need prayer today, if you, if, if you want to give your life to Christ, if you need prayer for something going on in your life, come forward. I know God is moving right now, so slip out of your seats right now. We've got people that want to pray with you, all right? Come on forward. Marriage class today, it's going to be awesome. Four o'clock, I encourage you to come up for that. We love you guys like crazy. What do you say? We, go, we leave these doors today. We go out into that world. Let's carry the glory of Jesus in every nook and cranny of our culture, of our community, and of the world. Lord, we do it for your glory, and we thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, love you guys. Connect with each other before you leave. If you need prayer, come on down, all right? Bless you.